0: You're listening to a Richwood Church Podcast. Well, if you, um, if you haven't noticed, our country is going through some stuff. Um, and not the least of which is COVID-19, which is, uh, again, spiking. And this onslaught of, of COVID has really brought out fear and disorientation, and strife, and there are incredibly varying viewpoints on this virus. And I mean really strong viewpoints. There are some who see the virus as a real danger. There are some who see it as a simple political talking point. There, has some, there are some that say that to move forward as a country, we just need to open things up. And there are others who say, no, we need to stay home. Some say, I don't wear a mask. That's uh, an affront to my liberty. And others say, no, that's being a good neighbor. You have these vast, varying views on COVID-19 and all other kinds of issues, including the election, all of the racial unrest. And so the question then becomes, how do we move forward as a church? How do we move forward as a gospel centered, unified body, when these kind of very viewpoints exist. And I would argue that we followed the example of the early church. And we're in this series called Courageously Multiply in the book of Acts, and they came upon an issue that they had to deal with that threatened to tear them apart, that threatened to halt the growth of the early church. but These leaders were wise, and they got together, and they were able to come to an agreement. They were able to move into the middle, but they didn't sacrifice what they believed to be the truth. And if we're going to thrive, if we're going to be the church we want to be, then we need to do the same thing. And the way to do that is to do what's best for each other. It's to serve one another. And we need to do this not in spite of, but Because of all of this strife, because of COVID-19, and that will show an incredible example to the world. And so, having said that, let's turn to the book of Acts, and let's see what this church was dealing with. So please turn with me to Acts 15, beginning in verse 1. If you have a Bible or a tablet or a phone with you, we don't have Bibles in the pews right now because of COVID, but you can always just follow along on the screen. And we're going to begin on Acts 15, Verse 1. So the issue at hand in 48 AD is simple. And it's centered on two basic questions. As Gentiles were coming to know Christ, and as they were being filtered in to the church, Jewish believers were asking the first question, which is, do Gentiles need to become Jewish in order be saved? In other words, do they need to be circumcised? The second question is, once they become believers, do they need to follow the Mosaic law in order to be right with God? These were the two basic questions that were floating around the church, and it was a divisive issue because people felt very strongly on each side, wide and varied opinions. And Luke lays out the issue here in Acts 15, verses 1 and 2. Look there with me. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. There's that first issue. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So this was a real problem. Notice the wording here, no small dissension. So this was dangerous. It threatened to halt the momentum of the early church. But godly leaders saw the problem, acknowledged the problem, and dealt with the issue. And as we seek to do what's best for each other, here's the first point I want to give you this morning. We have to understand, difficulties and disagreements can't be swept under the rug forever. You can't just take issues in the church and sweep them away and pretend that they're not going to come back to haunt you. And these these believers, these early church leaders understood that. And here's the thing. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of racial unrest, in the midst of coming out of this political season that we've been in, it's important to talk about how we feel. But it's even more important to listen to one another. The problem with social media is that there's no listening involved, everybody's just posting opinions, but we need to listen to each other in order to maintain unity. And, and we'll see this happen at this meeting in Jerusalem. Nothing is accomplished by pretending that everything's okay when it's not. And we're going to see here how church should be, what it should look like, how believers can move toward unity. and. This idea of being swept under the rug didn't even dawn on these leaders. This group, they, they left nothing unsaid. There, there was no behind-the-back meetings going on. In our day, we'd call them parking lot meetings, you know, where you go to a meeting and then you have another meeting with those that agree with you outside, or you send email streams around and leave the person you really should be addressing out of the email stream. That just reaps disunity and distrust. And these people here in this early church did not do that. And and many times churches are afraid to wade into these situations because they think, well, I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings or the church's reputation is going to be affected, so we shouldn't really. Now listen, I'm not talking about holding confidences. Confidences are important. Proverbs talks a lot about holding confidences. I'm not talking about airing dirty laundry that doesn't need to be aired. What I'm talking about is honesty. And the problem a lot of churches make, the the, the mistake they make is that they leave too much to the imagination. And the imagination is far worse than the truth most of the time. Before we came here, I was the the chair of a board of a of another denomination. And so I got to have a front row seat to watch churches die literally. And I know it because they sent me all kinds of letters all of the time complaining about everything. Meanwhile, their churches were dying. And so I wrote a doctoral dissertation on crisis leadership. How, how do you go into a church that has crisis and lead it out of that crisis? And I found that there were two basic problems going on in these churches that were dying. Number one, there were agendas everywhere. Everybody had their own agenda. And it wasn't listening to each other, it wasn't serving one another, it was driving home an agenda. And then secondly, secrecy. And when there was secrecy and there wasn't communication, and there were one group over here and there was a group over here and a group over here, then disaster struck. A lot of people get hurt in churches. And these leaders in the early church were not going to let that Happened. Paul wrote about a troubled church to a troubled church in Corinth about a man who was causing all kinds of issues because of his immorality. And I want you to see what Paul says about how to deal with this. I use the New Living Bible for clarity. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. What a terrible thing it is that you are boasting about your purity and yet you let this sort of thing go on. Don't you realize that even one person, if even one person is allowed to go on sinning, soon all will be affected. Remove this evil cancer, the wicked person from among you, so that you can stay pure. Christ, God's lamb, has been slain for us. Don't push it under the rug. Don't claim you're pure if you're going to look away from this kind of stuff. Get it out in the open. And that's exactly what these early leaders were going to do. And What they did was they called a meeting that was to become known as the Jerusalem Council or the Council of Jerusalem. They were going to work this thing out. They were going to send everybody up there and have it out, get it sorted out so the church could continue to move forward. Now remember, this is all happening a very short time after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Only about 15 to 20 years, which isn't a very long time. And what was happening in that period of time is that Gentiles were coming into the church and Jews had been taught, don't even associate with Gentiles, non-Jews. And now all of a sudden they're faced with this prospect of having to do church with (laughs) Gentiles. And meanwhile, Gentiles didn't understand how Jewish people thought. So you had this incredible variety of thoughts, but what they were going to do is they were going to serve each other well. Now, in verses 3 and 4, we see Paul and Barnabas, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria. They did some missionary work. They were warmly welcomed. As they arrived in Jerusalem, they were giving details of all these Gentiles that were being saved, and almost everybody was really happy. Almost everybody. But some were not so. If you look at verse 5, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Bam, there's the issue. And the issue was stated forthrightly by what? Believing Pharisees. These are believers trying to work this out. And in their mind, you couldn't possibly follow God without circumcision. Paul and Barnabas... No, let's go work it out. So these simmering disagreements over the role of Jewish rights in regards to salvation and sanctification, they wouldn't be swept under the rug. It doesn't work. And so we're going to see what happens now and how they work this out. And the party bringing forth the problem consisted of believing Pharisees. And so here's point number two as we learn how to work through this together in this crazy age we live in. Remember, those who disagree with you are not your enemy. How did we get to where we are? How did we get to this place where everybody that disagrees is bad? It's divisive. It's out there in the world. I don't want us to drag it into our church because that's not how Christians operate. In our culture, we've forgotten how to disagree and be friends. So here's the thing these these leaders were ready to serve each other, and, and, and there were close friends on each side of the aisle. Over here, in the area of freedom for Gentiles, you had Paul, Barnabas, and Peter. That's not a lightweight group of men. And they were gonna say listen, you can't put the yoke of the Jewish law on these Gentile believers. But over here, you had none other than James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was a scrupulous law keeper. James is here, godly, leading people. Over here, you had godly people, leading people, and they were going to have to work this out. And you can only just imagine the tension that was in the air. Some of you have been to church meetings or annual meetings, business meetings, where you just kind of feel your chest start to tighten. You know, like, hey, don't, I want to go eat. You know, let's be done. Imagine the tension that was building here. But because they valued each other, they dealt with the issue rather than making it personal. They, they, they dealt with it with incredible grace. Now, after much discussion... And by the way, that Greek word is inquiry, debate, questioning. Peter would speak first in verses 7 through 11. And he's going to refer back to the time he had that vision in Joppa and then went and preached to the Gentiles. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 7. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. What Peter's saying here is, why in the world would you want to put the law which we Jewish people couldn't even bear up under and put it on these new Gentiles that were coming into the church. We're all saved by faith, alone. And believe me, Peter had incredible influence here because he was the first one to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And that fact was known by everyone, and so they listened to what he said. Now, Paul and Barnabas were next. And they related all of the miracles that had been happening. All of the Gentiles that had been coming to know Christ. And everyone was really happy about that. And then it was James' turn. Now, next to Peter, he would have wielded by far the biggest stick in this fight because, not only because he was the half-brother of Jesus, which I'm sure gave him incredible, incredible influence. But because he was so respected, because he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he was the leader of their inner circle, what he said was going to either win the day or cause huge dissension. And so what would he say? Look at verse 19. He first quoted the prophet Amos and then said this, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble Those of the Gentiles who turn to God. What he was saying was he agreed with Peter. Gentile believers would become believers by faith alone. They weren't required to keep the Mosaic Law in order to be godly. And this would have sent shockwaves down James' camp because... These people were Jewish to the core. But these friends, man, they could have argued all day. They could have fractured the church. They could have gone into their little corners. They could have written books refuting each other, which is so sad these days. You have these authors, you know, these big theologians, and they write books. I disagree with you. They write a book. I disagree with you. Why don't they just call each other? Like, we have phones. They could have done that, but they didn't. They watched out for each other. They they dealt with this issue openly and honestly. And friends didn't become enemies. I have a friend who always says, it's better to be right with one another than it is to be right. And I think there's a lot of truth and a lot of wisdom in that. And so how do we keep the church together in the middle of such wide-ranging views in every topic, COVID, racial justice, politics, we serve each other, we watch out for each other, we listen to one another, and we can do that in 2020 because God has called us to do that. Now, back in Jerusalem, there was still one more issue to tackle. How would Jews and Gentiles have fellowship in the future? It was one thing to work out the salvation method, but now they had to live together. Now they had to work together. Now they had to come together as a church to go out and win the area for the gospel. And so James laid out the options with great wisdom and it involved seeking middle ground. And here's the next point I want to make, that Unity happens when serving the good of another is the top priority. Not serving yourself, not serving your agenda, but serving the good of another. James' solution is seen here in verses 19 through 21. Again in 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Verse 20. But should write to them, we should write a letter to them, to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. What is he talking about? His word is carrying the day There would be no yoke placed on Gentiles, but here is what he is saying. He's saying, okay, Gentiles, there's going to be no yoke on you to come into the church, but I am expecting you, Gentiles, to come over here and figure out and understand Jewish way of thinking. I want you to honor it, and I want you to walk alongside of them in it. These are not central salvation issues, but they're important issues. And he's calling Gentiles to come into the middle, so that there can be unity in the church. And so, if you look at these various things he said here, that Christians, these Gentile Christians should be directed to avoid food, which had been offered to idols, the flesh of animals, which the blood had been completely drank, all Jewish law, and that they should conform to the Jewish code of sexual relations. In other words, purity between a man and a woman, unlike all of those pagan sexual rituals that were happening in the... Gentile world. Come out of that. Come over here. Walk alongside of your Jewish brothers and sisters. It's really profound. No one gave up their belief systems. No one had to compromise their belief systems. What they had to do was understand who was doing what and come together. Now, they they conquered that salvation issue. They conquered the issue of how they were going to live together, and now they just had to do it. So they wrote a formal letter, and they began to go out and once again win the world for Christ. But notice here, they didn't sweep anything under the rug. They realized that their opponents were not their enemies. They were their friends. They were fellow Christians. And unity was able to happen because they chose middle ground. And so here's how the process relates to you and me now in 2020. We tend to think we're the only culture that has issues. I think there have been others. This was one of them. And here's how we can work this out first. I want you to know that no matter what background you come from, that you're an important part And piece of the Ridgewood Church puzzle. And I chose this word puzzle here on purpose because each of us is so different. We're cut differently, but yet we fit into this puzzle that God has that is the church. And, you know, this piece, if it's round, doesn't fit, but if it's over here, it will fit, and you fit. And I'm so glad you're here. And I want you to know that you can disagree with me and you don't have to have all the Baptist lingo down and you can dress differently. And that's what makes the church the church. I don't want you all to think like me. That would be frightening. I mean, Wendy would say all you would talk about is sports and bacon. I mean, that would be it. And I'm wrong most of the time. I need you and you need me. We need each other. And so you're here for a reason. You're not here just out of random chance. You're here to plug in, be part of the puzzle that is Ridgewood Church. And then I would say this applies this way. is We need to stay together in order to further the gospel because no divided church is going to be an effective church. And so the bottom line is that people need Jesus. You and I need each other. So don't shame each other for wearing or not wearing a mask. Don't shame Another person because they voted differently in the election. And don't, please, don't assume that everybody agrees with you. And be sensitive about your wording. And be sensitive about how you talk about these really fiery issues that are all around us. I witnessed something in our church. So people were milling around from our church, and there was a construction worker out there without a mask on, and one of our people just lit into the guy. And I went like, oh, No! Don't do that. We need to have grace. It's important that we understand and come together. So, just to leave you with this first principle we need to serve each other. Okay? Second principle we need to serve each other. Okay? Those are the first two principles. Third principle we need to serve each other. It all comes down to serving. It comes down to listening. It comes down to honoring. And we need to do this right now because we are in a period of time that isn't going to radically change anytime soon. And we need to do it not in spite of, but especially during all of this racial unrest, political unrest. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast.